umgoblue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And we're going to talk about Michigan's 34-27 to victory over Maryland. Well, Clint, what were your thoughts on that one? Well, somehow I had gone against my initial uh, thoughts from early in the season and in the preseason that, uh, you know, I was kind of ringing the bell to keep an eye on this last game of September when Maryland came to town because they were a legitimate legitimate test for our defense especially. And then it came to be, and as I was uh, kind of documenting my pregame predictions, uh, you know, that I thought, Michigan was going to really steamroll uh, Maryland's defense and really still put up, you know, I think I predicted 45 points from the offense. So the offense underperformed uh, to my expectations. uh, But what we saw when Maryland's offense was on the field against our defense, I think it was consistent with expectations that Maryland offense is pretty good. I think that will bear out over the full season. Um, unless they fall off a cliff in October as they have the last couple seasons. But I, I think Maryland's offense is legitimate. So it was a good test for the defense. And I think uh, Michigan's defensive staff and Jesse Minter have some work to do. And, and that's, you know, that's part of a, a normal football season is to really analyze and find those uh, holes in your, your approach and, and in your execution and then go back and fix those. But the, the issues that we saw on offense um, were, were more of a surprise, I think, um, initially. And then you remember that J.J. McCarthy is, you know, four games into his sophomore season. Um, so he, he very much looked like a sophomore to me and still, uh, without his absolute A game, was, was without a doubt good enough to win the game. Um, really probably was a two-score game. Um, if the defense had, had kind of tightened up against the, the second-string quarterback for Maryland on the very last drive. So all in all, probably should have been better for me predicting the score, but uh, I think what we saw makes a lot of sense, and uh, I'm excited to see how Michigan uh, evolves from here because there are some holes to plug. So heading into the game, my concerns had grown in the previous weeks because – No, this is not a criticism of Michigan's previous opponents. It's just uh, an acknowledgement. Their effort was there, but their talent wasn't, right? And it really seemed, the talent level seemed to decrease. So instead of Michigan being tested more and more, you know, my concern was, listen, you you can go full bore. You can say you're going as hard as you can, but you're only getting pushed so hard, right? And I had been saying, and we talked about it in the previous podcast, you know, the gap between the talent of the first three opponents and Maryland was big, right? And, and again, this is big 10 talent. You know, I'm not the biggest Maryland fan. You know, I've gone on and I've gone on the record of saying, listen, I'm not a big fan of Maryland and Rutgers being in the big 10, but one of the things that they've enjoyed in joining the big 10 is they're now, you know, recruiting big 10 talent and, Heading into the game, I fully expected Michigan, or I'm sorry, I fully expected Maryland to score in the 20s. Okay, that didn't surprise me. I think that, you know, there are some things 
that the Michigan defense still is is rising, still figuring itself out. And again, it hadn't been really tested in the first three games. So that didn't surprise me that Maryland scored in the 20s. It did surprise me that the Michigan offense struggled. And, and I think that, um, you know, again, I'm not trying to um, pull the alarm yet, but Maryland's defense was one of the lowest ranked in the Big Ten. Okay. So um, I expected more. You expected more. So I think that's, you know, I always talk about my dashboard. I'm like, well, there's a little blinking, a little blinking light there. I don't, I don't know how worried I am yet. Um, you know, uh, the way the game started, right? I mean, eight seconds in, Michigan has a touchdown because Maryland, you know, fumbled the kickoff. And what's interesting is, you know, and you can't, you can't do this, right? But if you just take those seven points off, they played. They played head up, right? And I was really impressed with Maryland. I thought they came in. They were not intimidated by the environment. They brought, uh, you know, if not their best game, a really high-level game. And, you know, again, there were points where Michigan seemed to kind of be, um, you know, there's the there's the phrase in the past that, you know, sometimes Michigan plays like they expect to just throw the helmet out and the and the opponent to kind of wilt, you know, to, in the to the pressure. I kind of had that impression watching this game that I'm not sure Michigan um, was completely focused on Maryland at all times. So I don't know how concerned to be, but I, I was I was definitely a little disappointed that the Michigan offense couldn't put it together more. Thank goodness for Blake Corum because you know he he tore it up, and again really really nice to see, you know him pick up the slack offensively and again ran for you know again 243 yards i mean that's just you know against anyone anytime that's an amazing performance there's an old saying in football uh that uh, a running back who can miss somebody by the narrowest of margins is a is a is a unbelievable talent uh now Blake can get so close to a defender, would-be tackler, within inches, and then make the slight move uh, where somebody that close doesn't even touch him. Uh, some backs will make the cut a yard away or two yards away. Blake Quorum gets to the point where he can smell their breath and then make the slight uh, six-inch cut, you know, missed by the narrowest of margins. It's it's incredible, and uh, the vision, the low center of gravity. Um, you, know, you know, players talk about having just a hard time finding him, um, and the the real key to the success is just how close he can get to a defender and then miss by the narrowest of margins. Yeah, I mean Blake Corum is the headline. He's the headliner. Second week in a row, you know, after scoring five touchdowns the week before, he puts up 243 yards, which is the most the most since uh, Tim Biakabatuka in everybody's favorite game from 1995. Um, so you're right to to praise Blake Corum and and the offensive line to a certain extent. I think that we're still seeing uh, the offensive line iron some wrinkles out. And uh, it was good to see the depth stand up. Uh, 
Geo, um, Geo, our, our backup guard, uh, came in again and started this game. I think uh, Trevor Keegan was out, and I thought that he played well. And um, the other real headliner for me on the offense uh, in front of Blake Corum uh, was the second or third tight end in this game, Joel Honigford, a converted offensive lineman, number 84. And his blocking out there next to uh, Schoonmaker uh, really caved in uh, the entire side of the defensive line. And we saw some of those short yarded situations where Corum was allowed to bounce outside and there's just nobody there. And, and that wall collapsed, that contain collapsed uh, because of really, really great blocking, run blocking from the tight end. So I, I wanted to give a shout out uh, additionally to, to Joel Honingford for that. Where I'm looking now at, at the at the numbers, you know, that we that we and I try to communicate through the game and immediately after the game. And Michigan averaged seven point two yards per run play. Right. And remember that when I'm when I'm charting the data, I try to group the plays based on what was called. So for example, if a quarterback drops back to pass and is pressured and he runs, right? Those he gains five yards. Those are five rushing yards in the official stats. But I put it into a pass play because the offensive coordinator called a pass play, right? The the defense was 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 their pass rush and their pass defense that gave up those five yards, not your run defense. So a lot of times, if you try to take the box score and create the the numbers that I discuss during and after the game. There's going to be some misalignment, and most of that is because of how the official statisticians deal with um, quarterbacks running and quarterbacks being sacked. So Michigan still 7.2 yards per run play, and then defensively they gave up to Maryland 3.6 yards per play. And again, I thought that number even was a little bit higher than I expected, and 52% success rate on run plays for Maryland's offense. That was the, the bigger surprise. The interior of the defense, uh, defensive tackles, and the inside linebackers, I, I think that they are the ones that are really hitting the video room the hardest this coming week as, uh, as Michigan prepares for Iowa. Not trying to be an alarmist here, but when you do look at the box score, okay, um, Michigan and Maryland traded 10 points each in the first quarter. Maryland scored a field goal in the second quarter. Michigan had a very late touchdown. So they go into halftime leading 17 to 13. Okay. Now let's dig into that. Okay. First, the first touchdown was due to um, Maryland turning the ball over in the first eight seconds. And then Michigan's second quarter touchdown was, you know, really an amazing play. You know, you mentioned Schoonmaker. And the tight ends, Schoonmaker had had a really nice block to help spring Blake Corum on that fourth and one that, you know, he ended up scampering for the 33-yard touchdown. But, um, you know, again, recommend everybody go to the website, you know, our playbook feature. We break that play down, and really that touchdown should have never happened. That play should have never happened. Um, now, it did, okay? Maryland was misaligned. They should have called timeout. They had timeouts to burn. And, you know, my guess is, Clint, you've been in the coaching box before. I've been in the coaching box before. I am sure that up in the booth, Maryland coaches were screaming 
for somebody to call a timeout. And Michigan, you know, and it, and again, to Michigan's credit, they ran the third down play. They came up a yard short. They rushed up to the line and they had another play ready. And um, even Blake Corum, you know, mentioned that the Maryland defense wasn't ready. Well, first of all, Maryland wasn't set. They weren't set. They weren't ready. Um, we snuck the ball, full line, crashed down. It was a big old hole. So I'm like, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Meet you in the end zone. Yeah, yeah. It's what, uh, nah, that, was, that was definitely a good play. You know, blocked, blocked well by the, the old line and the receivers. So not only were they weren't ready, they were, were caught really flat-footed, kind of meandering around. Um, you know, and again, I, I expect, hey, it's fourth down. They're expecting somebody, either Michigan or Maryland, to call a timeout, right, to think about what to do. Michigan rushed up to the line. Maryland was misaligned. And, you know, we got to see an amazing play. But if not for that play, you know, the story is Maryland leading Michigan 13 to 10, right? Uh, you know, and I, I'm glad it didn't happen. And then when you dig into that, you know, potentially 13 to 10, oh, guess what? One of those touchdowns was due to a, a Maryland flub, right? So, um, again, I think – I really feel that um, there is a a sense of security. Oh, Michigan's got this. Don't worry, right? And yes, Maryland's last touchdown again. As we go through the second half scoring, zero zero in the third quarter, and Michigan scored seventeen points in the fourth quarter, and Maryland scored fourteen and a late touchdown to you know bring it a little close together. But again, I did not feel nearly as comfortable as the fan base seemed to feel as I was watching this game. Um, not that I felt a real sense of jeopardy, but again, I, I really expected our offense to, to have a lot more success. And, um, you know, uh, you know, I look ahead, Maryland's uh, going to be playing Michigan state next. So maybe they will be tested or maybe not. Uh, but again, I, I definitely give Maryland credit. They came into this game well-prepared and I, I'm sure that the coaches, um, you know, again, the coaches should have called a timeout on that play. The players should have called a timeout. You know, when the offense is rushing up, it's not good for you, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And they had all three timeouts. So, you know, that's a – this it's early season, and uh, I'm sure that there was a lot of talk about that uh, in the film room and the team room this week. Um, so, you know, my concerns – and it seems crazy to say this. Um, I You know, I've gotten some flack. You know, so here you have um, Blake Corm running for 243 yards, right? That's awesome. And yet there were still times that, that I I looked at what the offensive line was doing and, and kind of wrinkled my nose a little bit. Again, we're rotating multiple guys through. Um, but, you know, the, the point that I want to make is uh, Michigan has far sterner tests ahead than Maryland, okay, as much as I praise Maryland here. You know, there's there's tougher games coming, so I I think this was a good kind of a, um, if not a punch in the nose, a, a smack, right? You know, to to kind of hey, we got stuff to work on, and and uh, again, you know, there's always things to work on, but I think this was, kind of, you know, a minor wake up call that, you know, if if Michigan wants to challenge, to try to repeat as Big Ten champions, um, they're going to have to continue refining their game and raising their level of play. Yeah, absolutely. And a little bit of context. First, something about week four, Big Ten opener. 
um, you know, 2021 season. That was the Rutgers game. If you remember, that one was tighter than it felt like it should have been. Definitely found some holes and issues that the defense had to address in that one too. So kind of an echo of that. And, and it, it's kind of a natural phase of a, of a football season, I would say, uh, especially with Michigan's early three non-conference games being much more of a preseason and a warm-up in terms of uh, talent disparity. So um, this is where we praised Michigan for battling through adversity for the first time in 21. So I would I would echo that a little bit here, is that this was certainly the first time that there was adversity um, facing the Wolverines, and they they came out with a W at, at the end of the day. So that's that's a good thing. I, th- I think there's a little bit of an injury bug right now that we haven't um, you know quite acknowledged. You know, and that's again natural part of college football. But Eric being out, Trevor Keegan being out. And uh, Nikai Hill Green still um, kind of missing at times as a linebacker. So I, I thought we have to keep an eye on that and how that evolves. And if those guys get back for some of the games coming up here, then then it won't be uh, nearly the issue. But there are some depth uh, tests happening right now for, for the Wolverines. Uh, in terms of the actual Maryland game, you're right that the Terps kind of handed Michigan seven points almost literally in the first eight seconds of the game. So to win the game by seven points seems like a, it was basically a tie. If you wipe out that one critical mistake, that makes um, a lot of sense, obviously, on the top line. But remember, there was one carry from C.J. Stokes down in the red zone that was a fumble where I felt in the first half when that fumble happened as Michigan was kind of reclaiming control of the game, um, that it really killed some of the game momentum. It certainly hurt the offense. CJ Stokes, I don't think got another carry the rest of the game, which leads to, you know, Blake Corum having 30 carries in this game. Uh, but that fumble and turnover was really, really painful. And, and to me, it felt like we had handed that, that, head start that the Terps had given us, it feels to me, or it felt to me in, in real time that we kind of handed it back to them in the second quarter. So um, that, again, just an extra layer of context. And then, as I mentioned before, the very last drive for Maryland, down two scores, uh, they put together a pretty solid drive. Uh, I want to say it was like 65 yards or maybe 70 yards and uh, with the second string quarterback and punch it in the end zone to go from a two score game to a one score game. So all of those things together, again, I I thought that it was a, a, a a solid, if still kind of underwhelming performance, definitely no alarm bells for me. I think uh, if anything, especially offensively with Iowa, on the back end of this one, a really, really highly rated defense on the road for the first time. I do think that there may have been a little bit of the offensive game plan getting kind of stashed in the back pocket for the coordinators and for Jim Harbaugh, not putting some of the, some of these things on film. Um, sometimes offensive coaches or sometimes football coaches do that and it bites them. Um you think that you can win with a vanilla game plan 
and, and you want to try to avoid putting things on film and then all of a sudden you're in a you know you're in a one score game and you got to figure out how to leverage the the vanilla game plan that you've created so that may have been at play I, I can't say for sure but certainly I think some guys were getting some rest in this game offensively that will probably be available and be back um, for for the Iowa game in Iowa City. I think that's a great point, Clint. As you mentioned, there's a few guys who are injured. There are rumors that some may be injured more severely than others, but you definitely had the impression that no one was rushing back to be available for the Maryland game, right? And I think specifically, you know, you mentioned Blake getting all the carries after the uh, C.J. fumble. Um, you had the situation where Donovan Edwards was out, right? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, is he in, is he out, is he available, is he is he not? And again, I got the impression, I think we're going to see him versus Iowa. Harbaugh's even kind of, you know, in his own Harbaugh-like way, hinted at that, um, that we're probably going to see him back. So, again, not a huge concern, but I, again, I, I kind of say it's the, it's the flickering yellow light. Did I, am I concerned? Did I see something? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I will give the, uh, the Michigan fan base credit that, you know, there were times that the offense was struggling in the first half. And, uh, I, I, you know, I said to somebody, I said, you know, if, uh, if Cade was out there, people would be screaming bloody murder. I think they are definitely being graceful as JJ works through his issues and uh, again, you know, JJ mentioned it wasn't his best game. I'd probably say that it definitely wasn't my best performance, and I'm, I want some things back that went out there. But I was happy with the way we were able to move the ball in times where we needed to respond. And that was a good team out there. I mean, Maryland's got a great defense. they got a great offense. And I was just happy with the way we responded when some adversity creeped in. You know, we can see that. Again, it, it's part of the natural maturation process. He is not going to show up and be fully formed, right? And I think that that's that's one of the things that made the quarterback quandary that Harbaugh found himself in kind of difficult, right? Is that you know what you have with Cade before he got hurt. He's definitely not available for this game. He was walking around in a leg brace, okay? But you know what you have with Cade. You were really successful last year. And, and Harbaugh is smart enough to know that as talented as J.J. is, there's going to be stops and starts. And I think Maryland was definitely an example. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've noticed about J.J. is he's supremely confident. And he's, he's super talented. And I think what he needs to appreciate is that, yes, he's super talented, but the gap between his town and, and Big Ten players, you know, shrinks, right? You're not you're not twice as fast. You're faster, right? And it's one of those things he's going to have to, you know, the way, the way you gear up for that is you play in a game, right? And guys can talk about how hard they go in practice, but Clint, you and I both know that uh, quarterbacks have the halo around them in practice. They do not get hit, okay? They do not get hit, and they even if they do accidentally get hit, they don't get hit by their own team the way they're going to get hit by opponents. So there, there's a definite transition for when quarterbacks get in the game 
and oh my gosh, they're really trying to hit me. Yeah, they're they're really going to hit you. And you know, as you look at the games coming up, you mentioned Iowa. The Iowa defense, you know, the Iowa offense may be a complete clown show, but the defense is top drawer, and they they will come at you there fast. Um, one of the things that the that Harbaugh talked about, uh, you know, previewing the game is just how well coached the Iowa defense is. You know, the players do what they're supposed to do. They will be in position. They will have proper technique, and they wait for you know they they play uh, you know a very stout defense, and they wait for you to make a mistake. So um, you know you, you have, uh, like you said, a sophomore quarterback. It is a recipe for some mistakes. And now I think Michigan's going to be you know good enough to hopefully put a beating on Iowa. But again, they're, they're, as we go through, especially this first half of the season, there are going to be some stops and starts with J.J. He's going to figure it out. Again, really talented guy, really bright guy, very self-aware of things he needs to work on. The only concern I have is, you know, Clinton, Clint, you and I have talked about on the podcast that I want him to run less. And apparently he had a meeting with Charles Woodson, and Charles Woodson said, encouraged him to run more. Um, it, he was, he was just kind of telling me just everything that was going on with the game and his insights and all that. But the big thing that stood out to me with him was just use my legs more. I mean, God gave me them for a reason. And when I'm sitting back there and I'm not seeing anything open, just run. I mean, that's, I took that wholeheartedly and that's something that I really need to do. But, uh, yeah, it was just great. Just goat advice right there. Well, you know, far be it for me to question the, the greatest cornerback of, uh, of all time, perhaps. But, uh, you know, let, let's, let's let the, the quarterback coaches coach the, the quarterback of the team uh, making uh, large-scale decisions on exactly how we're protecting the uh, sophomore quarterback. But Absolutely. I, 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 I digress. <laughs> uh, and, and really specifically for J.J., I think trying to make plays with his legs came up in, in this game. You know, where in the first in his first two appearances, he was just laser sharp with his arm. But also every time he ran, it was a positive play, save for one snap, I think, that I remember in in the first three games. In this one, he he was trying to escape some pressure and we saw some of the high risk, high reward uh, dynamic that that we knew was going to come with J.J. McCarthy and, and being a young quarterback. He did a little bit of. Uh, Fran Tarkington positivity where uh, he made three or four guys miss and ends up scrambling for a five, six yard gain. That's a huge benefit. Those are especially killers uh, when you, when you can pick up a first down on a third and long pass play on a passing down. So that was great to see. And then he tried to do it two more times and took a huge sack and got lucky that we recovered a, a fumble that he um, had the ball in his throwing hand and it slips out and, uh, you know, could have easily been a turnover if, you know, some, if another Wolverine hadn't jumped on it. So those are the types of things we have to limit and especially against Iowa. And I don't want to keep flipping between the two games, um, but this is a very, very specific point. Iowa, as we've said many, many times, Iowa's offense is horrible. The only way that Iowa can win against a solid team like Michigan is if that team is turning the ball over and allowing plays on special teams. 
So limiting turnovers is this is one of the most critical weeks for for JJ to really be playing a solid game and and settling into the offense and taking what's there because Iowa is not a high risk reward defense. They wait for you to make a mistake and then they capitalize on it. They're they're opportunistic more than uh, aggressive. So taking away those opportunities from the defense really minimizes what Iowa can do on the scoreboard. So we do not want to see Maryland JJ running around like like Fran Tarkington in in Iowa City. So Zach Zinner mentioned that it's a different situation blocking for JJ versus Cade because you can feel the defense rotate. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it's a little interesting because, you know, once you feel that defender start sprinting right, you're like, all right, JJ's rolling out of the pocket. And, uh, so, you know, just trying to keep him engaged with us as long as possible, give JJ that time he needs. And then it's really just kind of a feel it out. You know, JJ's going to run right and then got to cut him off and he's going to roll the other way. So it's definitely a little interesting, but uh, we'll get better at it, I think, as it keeps going, as we get some more time at it. But, yeah. Just try not to get holding calls when he's running all over the place. That's what I was going to ask. When the defenders change direction all the time, is that when it puts you guys at risk for more penalties potentially? Yeah, when it's definitely more risk for a holding call just because they're scrambling to the right and uh, just taking off instead of just sitting right behind us. So uh, we definitely got to be more aware of not getting holding calls. You know, I always say, you know, uh, when you're talking to offensive linemen, I think it's one of the best positions on the field, right? You know how you're attacking you know where you're attacking and you know when, right? You have these distinct advantages. Well, when you're in a pass blocking situation and a guy takes an angle and you're and you're blocking him, right? With JJ, JJ may be on one side of the field behind you and then switch to while he's running to a completely other side. So it's one of those things you kind of lose your advantage of knowing where to seal, right? And again, Offensive linemen are, are, are versed on how to do this. But Zach was talking about, you know, oh, yeah, you, you know, it's, you, have to be, you have to be very careful not to have holding penalties because you'll have a seal block on somebody. They, and, again, the defense has the advantage of being able to see beyond you. And as an offensive lineman, again, you don't have eyes in the back of your head. You don't know, you know, when the play shifts until the person in front of you shifts. So, so that's one interesting thing that's – that's going to be an additional challenge for our offensive line moving forward. The other thing that I think we're seeing, Clint, is that in the first couple games, defenses had to prepare for Cade and they had to prepare for J.J. They had to split their time, right? And with Cade, you kind of know where he's going to be, okay? Not a knock on him, but he is a he is that kind of quarterback. I think what we saw versus Maryland is the defense was prepared – and looking for that, again, trying to force an error. Um, one of the concerns I have uh, when J.J. is running around, um, you know, it's ball control, okay? And, you know, one of the best people on the staff for teaching ball control is Fred Jackson. So while he is not a quarterback coach, uh, I would hope that he is providing some input to, to J.J. and Matt Weiss on, okay, J.J., if you're going to be running around, this is how you hold the ball. <laughs> um, because, again, that those are the kind of things you see, and you're like, all right, you can get away with that during the first three games of the season. 
we saw how it was a little dangerous against Maryland, and uh, you know some defenses will eat that up, right? So those are the kind of mistakes that you just need not to make. So again, um, really happy with the win. No, don't get me wrong, but um, and and really happy with with Corum. Um, great to see that. Uh, you know, we keep talking about he's put ten or eleven pounds on. Uh, he definitely has the speed. He definitely uh, has the. Uh, you know, he's definitely the player he was last year, uh, and and more. And really looking forward to what he does. And you know, at this point, I, I'm really kind of where um, I think. You know, I think. Jim Harbaugh said it best. You know, we got some things to work on, no doubt about it. And those are always, uh, always feel good to work on when, when you get the win. And uh, you know, four and that's as as good as we can be now. Now we now we'll get the uh, have to answer the, t- the question of you know, can we go on the road and you know, play our first road game in the Big Ten and and uh, be successful? And we'll turn our focus to that and look for a great week of practice and preparation. Great win. I'm super happy about it. I always. I always feel like I, I do, you know, which is man, best win ever, you know. Uh, may never have a better win. And then uh, now we'll get on to Iowa. You know, it, it's time for them to see if they can win on the road, right? And you and I have talked over the last five or six years. There have been times where Michigan is a completely different team on the road. They, they uh, beat that a little last year, although – you know, you do have to note that, you know, they lost on the road versus Michigan State and they got thumped on the road in the Orange Bowl. So, again, definitely a big challenge here and one that I, I'm looking forward to. Yeah, that's, that's a great call. I, I do think that we should point back to our, our previous podcasts and take uh, some credit, again, for sounding the alarm, you know, not to sleep through the entire month of September that Maryland was going to be tough. And then also a little bit of, the, the preseason conversation about who was going to get those short yardage carries uh, now that Hassan Haskins is in the NFL. And we were pretty clear that well, Blake Corum might be the guy. He might be that guy between the tackles in those short yardage situations. Now, in this game, it, we're kind of stacking the deck because Donovan Edwards wasn't uh, available and CJ Stokes had fumbled. So I, I won't take a, a a huge victory lap yet on that one, but I do believe we've seen Blake get the ball in those short yardage situations, convert uh, the first down after contact, right? Using some some power and not just his uh, his speed to make people miss. And we've also seen uh, that he can still bounce it outside and take it to the house in those short yardage situations. So, uh, pointing back to those things uh, again, you know, well done in terms of how well you, know, you have, have thought about these things in our, in our preseason and, and try to hold ourselves accountable to what we've said in the past. And we certainly uh, you know, tease each other when we're wrong. So if we do get one right, we should probably say it. And I think the last piece of context for me in this Maryland game is the, their first three games for, for the Terps, they were awful in terms of discipline and penalties and in this game they were not hit with many penalties if if any so they actually 
Michigan was actually penalized more, and it wasn't a, a ridiculous showing for Michigan, but I believe Michigan was actually penalized more than Maryland in this game. That is also a huge flip in trying to compare what Maryland's performance in the first three games, especially their third game against SMU, where they had 15 penalties and kept drives alive on at least three occasions uh, via penalty. That didn't happen in the Michigan-Maryland game. So credit to the Terps there, and that's another big reason that they overperformed expectations um, last weekend. Well, and that was kind of what I was getting at is they were very well prepared, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't come in. They didn't have execution errors you know, due to the crowd noise. They weren't overwhelmed by the moment. Um, you know, I did want to give a shout-out to you for bringing up Tim Biakabatuka. Uh, that was the first year that I was a season ticket holder, 1995. And uh, to give, uh, you know, some perspective, right? So here you had Blake Corum run for 243 yards against Maryland. Uh, Tim Biakabatuka ran for 313 yards in a 31-23 victory over an undefeated Ohio State. And, and I will tell you, um, you know, Kids these days are spoiled, Clint, when you go to the game, right? You have your fancy smartphones and you have the, the scoreboards with the stats. I remember being in the stadium that day, and Biak Batuka was just a hammer. He just kept running and running and running. And what's interesting is he had no 90-yard run. He had no 50-yard run. It was just five yards, five yards, five yards, six yards. So you're sitting there in the game going, Man, he's just he's just a beast. And, uh, you know, in those days, the only way you would really know what the stats were is, you know, people would have radios. And I remember my dad was there, and he's like, Biak Matuka's like, at the time, you know, run for over 300 yards, and we're like, what? No way. <laughs> and then you go back and watch the game on tape, and again, 37 carries, he was just relentless. And And then the other thing is, that's not even the biggest yardage, you know, yardage total in Michigan history. You know, um, Ron Johnson ran for 347 yards in 1968. So just, uh, you know, hats off to Blake Corum. And, you know, again, um, hats off to you for recalling that game versus Bianca Patuka, because uh, I remember in the preseason, um, you know, again, some inside baseball for people here. Um, you know, we had a tie to the person who did stats on the Michigan um, radio broadcast, okay? And he was a teacher in our school district. And prior to every year, he would have to learn everyone's names. And mm. I remember um, one of my brother's friends uh, was helping him quiz for names. And uh, the guy came to my brother and said, yeah, we got this guy named Bianca Batuka. And we're like, what? How do you even say that, right? Uh, but you know, from that performance throughout that year and definitely uh, against Ohio State, we all know Bianca Batuka now. And, I, you know, I just have fond memories of anticipating how he was going to play and being in the stadium uh, during that amazing performance. Yeah, and I, again, credit to Blake Corum and the offensive line from this last Saturday to throw this performance into the ring in the same conversation as that one. And Ron Johnson in 68, and I think Denard Robinson in South Bend 
right around 2012 uh, also is probably on that list somewhere. So uh, hats off to him. That's great. Love, love seeing Blake Quorum kind of etch his name in, uh, in Michigan history and looking forward to, to seeing him do it again and, and maybe etch his name on the, uh, on the rivalry at the end of the season too. Yeah. And you know, okay. So we, we mentioned in our, right. What was amazing about that performance was he had 532 yards of total offense, 258 on the ground and 244 passing yards. So again, uh, you know, I, I know, uh, you know, many fans who, who are older fans remember that, but uh, I think it's something for younger fans to appreciate what an amazing performer Denard was. So one of the things I mentioned, I remember about that game plan is um, I went to that game in South Bend and, uh, you know, new people on the team and was kind of hanging out by the team bus and, and uh, this older Ohio state fan, this old grandma type came up and and tapped me on the shoulder and she's like I just want to thank you for having for bringing such an amazing player to perform at our stadium and it was just you know it was a classy thing because Notre Dame lost you know 28-24 but just the the performance that Denard did um, really was impressive and again an impressive guy Um, you know definitely uh, one of my favorite memories as a Michigan fan so as you said uh, you know, we're, we're real early in this season. And, you know, I remember thinking last year as Blake Corum was gearing up early in the season, I'm like, wow, I go, this guy's incredible. And then, you know, unfortunately he got dinged up and Hassan Haskins came in and, and was also incredible. But, you know, I think the, uh, uh, the future is bright for Blake Corum. Very well-spoken. You know, I encourage everybody to, you know, to listen to our previous podcasts. We have uh, we have audio clips of them. Like I say, I say this every time, and I really mean it because I feel like we're the best line in the country. Like they make my job easy. They allow me to get to second level defenders real quick and things like that. Seems like a good guy, an amazing performer on the field, and we're only four games into this season, and uh, again, lots of excitement to come. Absolutely, and a real stiff test against uh, a really great defense on the road this week. So if we're talking about Blake Corum again this time next week, then he's really, he's done another great thing. And and let's hope that that's what, that's what happens. So I think that this is going to be an interesting test versus Iowa. First things it's on the road. Second, um, as putrid as the Iowa offense is, their defense is great. And again, we keep bagging on the offense because it has been poor. Um, you do, you know, again, they have Big Ten talent. They have Big Ten coaches. You'd expect them to put together, uh, you know, an improved performance. Hopefully it's not against Michigan. But, uh, you know, one factor is I'm glad that they didn't move this to a night game. Um, you know, uh, Iowa is a particularly difficult place to play at night. So I think that is in Michigan's favor. I think we're going to see some players back, as we alluded to earlier. Um, you know, Clint, the thing about that is, you know, we're, you know I'm, I'm starting to get to the point of the season that what we have is what we have, right? Um, you, know, we're, you know, this is – I will be the fifth game. Uh, I think as we look at 
some of the individual performances. I, I do. Okay. I still have hope. I still have, that, that sounds bad. I still have hope that the defense is going to continue to improve. Um, but definitely some positions I'll be watching. And, um, you know, again, there were a couple of times where people were out of position and, um, you can get away with that versus Maryland. It'll be fatal against some of the teams uh, coming down the road. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, this week isn't that week. <laughs> this is Absolutely. not the week <laughs> to measure the defense against uh, Brian Ferentz's offense and Spencer Petras. So um, it is a very good point. We'll put that in our pocket and revisit that um, when we come up against a better offensive team. But this game is about limiting the big mistakes. And I think that starts with JJ McCarthy and, and that offensive line. So that's, that's where we'll be watching. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go blue. Thank you for listening to the umgoblue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.